everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy even in infertility. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is our last episode before our summer break, and y'all, it was such a fun conversation. This girl is the real deal, and we had such a great time chatting. Kathy Quillett not only walked through her own infertility journey filled with some crazy stuff, but she is also a therapist that specializes in helping couples walk through their own journeys of infertility. I for real felt like I was sitting in my own counseling session, so I hope you guys enjoy being a fly on the wall for that. Infertility is a trauma. If we don't deal with said trauma, triggers don't leave us. It further attaches into our brain. So if we don't deal with it, pregnancy, postpartum, we're at higher risk of all of that. And I keep telling people, we can't leave it up to a pregnancy or a baby to fix our infertility. We have to meet that head on. Otherwise, we're going to transfer that on and it's going to meet us later. Kathy shared so much in our conversation that really just made sense with my own journey and also the journey of others that I've walked closely with through infertility and through loss. So I know you guys are going to get so much out of this conversation and hopefully you guys will laugh along the way because we sure did. So let's get to it. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the Joy and Infertility podcast. Thank you for having me. So you just have a crazy story and you are super passionate about this space with us women who are walking through infertility. So Mm. tell us a little little bit about you, your life. Um, just help us get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. So I live in the Nashville area. Um, love I'm Nashville. Ma- love Nashville. But we were just talking offline and I need to get to your area too, because <laughs> you describe it as just glorious. It's um, so I'm a marriage and family therapist over here. Um, I am a wife to, to Tyler and um, we spent the first decade of our marriage. He was a pastor and we were up in the cornfields of Ohio. So that was glorious. Um, <laughs> and we have two children, which um, I'm not going to tell you a lot about yet because I'm going to tell you my infertility story and they are a part of that. But I am a mom to two boys. Um, How old are they? They are. He's Our oldest is almost nine, um, but he's eight right now. Obviously, if you just do the math, you're welcome for (laughs) that. Thank you for clearing that up. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And our other son is seven. Um, What's unique about him is that he has autism. Okay. And so he is just like having three more kids. And um, (laughs) But we love them. They're amazing. Just amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Can I tell you my story, my infertility story? Is that part of what you want me to say? Okay. Well, I think maybe, yeah, that sounds good for this podcast. That would be great. It does. Yes. Tell us your story. Okay. Can we just cut all that out? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So when my husband Tyler and I got married, we kind of had this uh, answer that we told everybody, you know, how everybody's like, okay, now that you're married, when are you going to give us grandchildren? <laughs> and so we both said that um, we were going to wait two years and we were going to have two, maybe three kids. We were both from three children households, um, but we only wanted to pay for two to go to college. And oh, so super specific, super specific. Yeah. We had this down. So what if, I mean, was three still, even if you had three, you were only going to pay for two? <laughs> Is that <laughs> maybe? You know, okay. you know, the I mean, middle child gets forgotten. And so I guess yeah. we were planning to do that right off the bat. Yep. And so <laughs> about a year into our marriage, I started having terrible gynecological pain. Like I sit for a living as a therapist and I was like sitting on one hip. It was so bad. Wow. Um, and so that took me to the OB-GYN and that took me into surgery And the doctor's hypothesis uh, was that I had pretty bad endometriosis. And I remember waking up from my first surgery to clean it out, ideally, um, with my husband, like, squishing my face and his hands tenderly, but it was a little rough, um, saying, Kath, I'm so sorry. It's everywhere. You do have endometriosis. It's so bad they can't clean it. He's like, I'm not even sure everything that's down there on a woman, but if it's down there, it's covered. Wow. And they Um, couldn't get it out? No, I had so much. The scar tissue would have been too bad. Now, remember, this was a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. And so the advancements that we've made in endometriosis are pretty amazing. And so... Except that we still have to have invasive surgery to find out if we have it. I feel like that's 
needs to yeah, be next well, on the development list. <laughs> yeah. There's new blood work coming out. It's, Is it? Not a, yeah. There's not a lot of testing around it yet. Um, but I know that they're using it on some people just to see if you could have traces of it or like the antibodies that show up with it. And that then, would be awesome. Yeah. 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 So um, three choices that I had for endometriosis. One was um, birth control. I do not do well with artificial hormones. My husband vetoed that before I even regained consciousness. <laughs> um, the other was a Lupron, which we all know is artificial menopause. And I just don't, you know, hormones. So the other one was that we needed to try to conceive. And so that we did. Eight months later, we found out, well, let me just also tell you, um, I've never had a regular period in my life. They're like 60-day cycles. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah. So we started trying. Um, eight months later, we found out that we were pregnant and we were elated. I'm going to throw my husband under the bus a little bit. And I would if he was here. So this isn't like I'm not breaking Ephesians 5 at all. Um, <laughs> he got so excited and like testosterone-y and adrenaline-y that he, once we found out we were pregnant, he grabbed a chainsaw and cut down a tree. Because I oh. guess that's what you do when you're like, I'm going to be a dad. I have adrenaline and testosterone. So Well, I think if he would have been able to form it into a crib, that would have been extra awesome. Yeah, if he could have like whittled it down. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not handy. That's maybe breaking Ephesians 5 a little bit. Um, <laughs> he had, had admitted it, though, if he were here. So we were just excited, and I was – the first trimester was really, really terrible. Um, but I made it to 10 weeks and just didn't feel pregnant anymore. And so went in um, and found out that baby no longer had a heartbeat, even though the week before we had seen a heartbeat. Oh. And I – you know, I stood up off of that crunchy paper and, you know, the lady who was totally annoyed that we took her off because it was like 10 o'clock at night and she was on call. She was super annoyed with us, but whatever she left. Um, and I just remember my husband tenderly grabbing me and saying, Kath, promise me, promise me this isn't going to change us. And we really didn't even know at that point the road ahead. But it was those words for me that I really like were really grounding to me in that space um, that kept us coming back to relationship stuff. So let's um, fast forward. We started trying again. I developed PCOS. I didn't develop. They found it. Um, so polycystic ovaries. I had two more surgeries. I lost a gallbladder along the way, which was totally unrelated, obviously. Um but 13 months later, we found out that we were pregnant again and that baby was with us for five months. And then a couple weeks or months later, we found out that we were pregnant again and that baby was with us for six weeks. And then a couple months later, we were pregnant with number four and that one was with us for seven weeks. Wow. So, I mean, with each doctor's appointment where there's just recurrent losses, um, number two, I mean, after loss one, our trusty OB Jen was like, we got this. Not a big deal. Number two, she was like, well, not great. Number three, she was like, well, we can keep going. Number four, she was like, I'm just really so sorry, you guys. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's crazy with everything that you have going on that you were able to get pregnant four times on top, like right on top of each other. I know. So what um, happened in our story that makes this kind of come to an end um, is one of my miscarriages, we're not sure which one, but bled into my uterus instead of out. And so my, where the doctor described to me that a normal uterus kind of has like an orange peel feeling to it. Mine was like a soggy sponge and it was sitting on my pelvic floor. So where I had endometriosis and polycystic ovaries, I now had adenomyosis or adenomyosis, depending on how you say it. Um, so I actually had to, I mean, I went to an IVF clinic and just to go over our options, we weren't sure like kind of how we believed about it, but we just wanted to see what our options were. Cause I wanted all the information before I made a decision and they were like, I'm so sorry, you have no healthy place left in your uterus. Oh and you goodness. can get pregnant, but we can't, even if we implant all the embryos in there, you're not going to be able to carry them. Um, so because of all the pain that I was in, and I mean, I thought endo was bad. Like this was so bad that like, you can't have sex. You can't walk. You can't, it was oh awful. Gosh. Like it would make my legs go dead. I still have nerve damage. It affected my bladder. 
um, et cetera. So at 32, I had a partial hysterectomy, um, which was a huge journey to get there. Everybody told me I needed to do it. And I was like, I'm not at peace. I'm not at peace. But one morning I just woke up and was like, I called the scheduler at the OBGYN office. And I didn't even tell my husband until after I did it because I was just ready and I needed it to be something that I just did. Um, and so that was a partial hysterectomy. And then three years ago, um, my last remaining ovary twisted and died and I was bleeding internally. Um, oh my goodness. I know. How does that happen? I, it's really rare. Um, oh my gosh. I know. So I've been in menopause. Um, I'm 38 and I've been in menopause for almost three years. Um, yeah. So if you have any questions about premature menopause (laughs) and want to know how to navigate that, I'm happy to help, but I'm still figuring it out as I go actually. (laughs) Oh man. So, um, the part about me being a mom in my story, my prayer was, Lord, knock me up and make it stick. Like if you're a good God, knock me up and make it stick. That's a that's a good one. That's yeah, I, pretty honest and pretty real. <laughs> I pigeonholed him just a little bit. Um and then somewhere the Lord broke my heart and my prayer became, God, what do you want my family to look like? Mm. Because I had this picture in my head of like a family picture on my wall and it needed to be my husband and I and two little kids that looked exactly like us. Um, and then once I prayed like, Lord, what do you want my family to look like? I feel like the, the kids pictures in that family picture really decided to like become, they didn't decide they became blurry. And at that time, the Lord absolutely broke our heart for the children of the world that didn't have families. And so our children are actually adopted from Ethiopia. Um, Ethiopia has since closed their doors for the most part. We were um, one of the last families to get out seven years ago before they really changed everything about it. But so our boys, um, yeah, are as Ethiopian as they come and absolutely the biggest piece of pride and joy in our life. And everybody always tells us how lucky they are to have us. And I think that we are so much luckier to have them. Um, so that's, that's our story. It's not like, yay, miracle. I got pregnant and everything was fixed. I'm as straight up as barren as they come. Um, but I have so much faith and peace and joy in the Lord that this is, this is what he wanted our family to look like. And none of us share DNA. Um, I was going to ask, are the boys brothers? Not biologically. biologically. Nope. Nope. They were both uh, in the same orphanage. Um, and both there for a majority of their life over there. And so how old were they when you brought them home? Yeah. So Bowen is our youngest and Bowen was nine months. Um, that's a name we gave them and their biological names are their middle names. Um, and Silas was 25 months. I don't just say two because developmentally two is such a broad number. So much happens at two. So he was just over two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're so fun. They're so great. <laughs> Two boys, too. It's, your house is just chaos. <laughs> Listen, I would not be a girl mom. I was such a tomboy. <laughs> I did not play dress up. I couldn't be bothered to deal with makeup when I was young. So, so yeah. just did you did you purposely set out for two boys or did you were like whatever Lord the bl- they're blurry enough that it could be a girl they're blurry enough um yeah I just said or we said two kids boy or girl zero to three so well, and the good news is if they choose and if they want to they'll both get to go to college because two yeah, yeah well you know if if mom and dad stay employed with COVID twenty twenty I guess. <laughs> And we don't need their college funds to live on, right? Oh (laughs) my gosh, yes. You busted through that real fast because, you know, you've lived it, you know all the, you've probably shared it a million times. So what, what was, I mean, you said four miscarriages. Yeah. Right? I mean, tons of, I I feel like I've, you named three things I've never heard of. And I have a podcast about infertility. So you got some rare. I've never heard of the squishy uterus that the miscarriage bleeding out. I mean, is that, do they, can they not catch that in the process or did they just miss it? I don't know that they can catch it in the process. I mean, adenomyosis is not, it's something that's diagnosed, but it's not something that we see a whole lot of. 
I mean, I'm an infertility therapist and pregnancy loss therapist. I don't hear, I think maybe in all my cases, I've probably heard of it one time. Wow. I mean, if you so just, just look yeah. at the hashtag of it on Instagram and Facebook, there's not too many people talking about it. Wow. Um, and then your and then your ovary after after a partial hysterectomy, yeah. then your ovary twisting off and dying. That's I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's crazy. Look, I see. I saw pictures inside. It was ugly. It Oof. was yeah. It was gross. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, okay. So what was going through, going back to that? You, I mean, crazy story. God, I mean that that was hard stuff. Yeah. What was I mean? What was like? Tell me about your low point. Like what was there was a lot of emotions that you were dealing with through all that, but you're also a therapist. So we feel like if you can walk through it, how did you do it? How did you do it so healthily? Or was it, or there's some really ugly times? Oh, there were some really ugly times. I'm a firm believer in postpartum depression, even after you have a miscarriage because your, your HCG still has to drop. And so there were some points when I was depressed. Listen, I should have had it all together by society standards. I'm a therapist. And for all of that, I was a pastor's wife. And oh, so there is this pressure. standard that you have it all together. Um, I was about as lonely as I've ever been in my entire life. And as a pastor's wife, you would think there's people all around you, but simultaneously, People were still expecting us to show up for them. Um, and I'm not criticizing the congregation that we were a part of at all. I feel like you they did the best they can with the information that, A, we told them, and B, they knew. And, and were so, you public about all four pregnancies since, or were y'all kind of starting to be more cautious about, like, we're not going to talk about the miscarriage that we just had? Uh, we were, I mean, it wasn't like pulpit or Facebook public, but the people who were walking life close with us, yeah. they knew. Okay. Um, so loneliness, I definitely had some bouts of depression, um, which is normal. I mean, if you want me to get on a soapbox and talk about why this is all real normal, I, I'm happy to do that. But just personally, um, personally, it was hard it was really hard. I mean, I'm eight years removed from it. And so just allowing myself for a minute right now to step back into it. Um, yeah, it brings up emotions. I was hard. It was hard. I was not a good version of myself whatsoever. Not a good version of myself whatsoever. Did you feel like in the moment that you should have been farther along than what you were or not as a mess as much as you were. And now looking back, you can be like, no, that was super hard. I, I should have given myself way more grace, way more time. Oh, totally. I am a really good mask wearer. And okay. so I would go to church and I would go to work and people would say, how are you? And I would say, I'm so good. And they would say, what's going on in your life? And you don't talk about your uterus, right? <laughs> Like, hey, Some the Lord. Do. Some of us. <laughs> well, and that's good. Listen, I lived in a town full of seven thousand people. And this was time. how many years ago? Like, people weren't talking about this stuff. No, um, it was. I mean, eleven to eight years ago. And yeah. so, I mean, when you think about it, IVF's forty years old. When I was going through it, there was no Instagram pages. There were no podcasts. Facebook groups did not exist. There was very few books about it. Mm -hmm. And at this time in a small Christian rural area, there's still the belief that you don't talk about sex. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. Well, in the cornfields, you talk about religion all the time. <laughs> um, and so all of that, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was lonely. Um, I could have dealt with it better if I had somebody in my corner empowering me and encouraging me to, to do it a little bit different. I mean, 12 years ago when I studied for my national marriage and family therapy exam, it was a 700 page book and there was two pages on infertility Two. Ooh. So just in the mental health field in the last 15 years, we are making huge strides where reproductive therapy is, um, concerned. We still have a long way to go. So 10 years ago, we were virtually ignorant. Wow. Yeah. That's telling right there. 
Yeah. No wonder we, no one was talking about it. The professionals weren't talking about it. No, no, there was nothing about it. You just wow. said, have more sex. Sorry, there's a little bit of grief Relax. associated. Chill. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've said, so I've said a lot the past year. I feel like, tw- they, you know, hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty, obviously, but I feel like sometimes the sane person, you know, out when they're, when you're more healthy and you're out of the, the hurt or the crazy or the painful season, you look back and you're like, Oh yeah, that was, that was intense. I should have really given myself more grace, but in the midst of it, you're telling yourself, I, I should be over this. I had to get past this. Yes. This sh- I'm you know, I'm, I'm wallowing too much or, you know, you're telling yourself all these things. And then you look back and you're like, Oh no, that was really intense. Someone should have been right there going, you know, this is hard. You can, you can relax. <laughs> you can chill out. You, you have all the time in the world you need to heal. Cause this yeah. is hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I'm lucky. I worked in a, in a practice with uh, several other professionals who, I mean, I, sh- I probably should have gone to therapy. However, every time I went to work, they were so good and so intentional. And I feel like every time between sessions for years was like Kathy therapy hour. And so they were, they were the sustaining feature wow. for me in my life. Well, that's great that you had that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so what got you through, I mean, other than that, those friends and those, those coworkers that kind of helped counsel you, what were the other things that helped you get through that season since you were pretty much feeling like you were wearing a mask all the time in the midst yeah. of miscarriage after miscarriage and then surgery and after surgery how did you how did you get through all that nyquil oh, i heard that one on the podcast <laughs> that's the only way i got to sleep let's just be honest so um, kathy is not an md so we do not we oh do not. don't do that don't do it don't do it I had such a bad case of insomnia, though. I just tried oh anything gosh. to help me to go to bed. I mean, there were mornings <laughs> when I was like, oh, it's five. I have to get up in two hours, but hopefully I still fall asleep. Um, <sighs> so I um, – what got me through? I think – I think my marriage. I think being able to take off my mask in front of my husband was super great um, super helpful. He showed up really big, um, in the grief. My husband is not an emoter, but he's really comfortable with emotions. And so that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my husband, as he works, he was the care pastor at the time. So he had a lot of good nuggets of information. And something that I think that he and I clung to a lot in our relationship was Lamentations 3. Um, when Jeremiah is, there's a part of it where he's lamenting to the Lord and he, what he says is I will never forget this awful time. And he's saying all these things that have happened to him terrible in his life. And then he says the word yet. And then he goes on to say the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And so Tyler and I, he's my husband, um, really tried to live in our yet And that gave us permission to be really sad and mad and kind of live in this space of like, I'll never forget this awful time because it was awful, but yet, so we got, it gave us permission to live in this both and that our emotions are, our emotions are super valid and all of these things like the Lord is allowing us to walk through. I'm not saying he causes babies today. I'm not saying he causes infertility, but the seasons of sorrow and anger, I felt like those were real um, kind of biblical emotions, right? That the Lord experienced also. So we get to live in this yet of like, this is awful, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord knows mm-hmm. what is going to happen in our family picture. Um, and the Lord is sustaining us, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. And so the idea of living in that yet, we still talk about it all the time. Like what's our yet? Um, so that I feel like that was super big for us. That idea well, was sustaining. Yeah. That's powerful. How did that translate over with your adoption journey? Cause I, that was that super smooth or were there a lot of lessons that you kind of had to overlay and 
Well, I think answering that, well. that because our adoption journey, like where we kept running into like brick walls with our own biology, we could not keep up in our adoption. Um, I, I mean, really? where things were supposed to take like one week, it took 24 hours where things wow. were supposed to, I mean, we did have, there was one point where we had gone through everything and then we were trying to bring the kids home. Like we had already been there once to Ethiopia and um, then we had to leave country and then the kids had to go through embassy and we almost couldn't get our youngest out. And it was then that we we're like, Lord, you've got to be joking. Like, we're like, we'll move, we'll pick up and move to Ethiopia because that's our kid already <laughs> legally. That's our kid. Aww. Um, and he was so squishy and cute. Let's be real. My kid was nine months old and he weighed 11 pounds. He was left oh. on the side of the road at 30 weeks gestation. Oh, no. So, oh. like, we were bound into deter- – that's the one with autism. So his autism is kind of warranted. Um, that's the – yeah, we're, like, that's our kid. But it was during that time when we are like, God, we're in this yet. And, like, please – I felt like if we were to lose him, that that would be, like, our fifth miscarriage. Except, like, we had held him and he was ours. Yeah, and- it's more of, like, a – yeah. like a – it was just different. Child lost. Wow. Right. And so, I mean, it was that moment that I think was really hard, but we, I mean, at this point we were expert waiters. Um, I don't <laughs> feel like we should all change our bios on Instagram to an expert waiter. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be remiss to say that even though we, we clung to that, there was no silver bow. I feel like the Lord grew my faith exponentially. And like just being able to like, oh, here's a hard thing. Well, my hands are off the wheel. There's nothing I can do with this. That doesn't often have a pretty bow. Um, mm-hmm. It's still like the most clunky of journeys. Um, but one thing I learned about it all is that I'm completely out of control. And me being out of control, I think is better when I can give the Lord control than me trying to take back control. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, we see that on a lot of Hallmark cards. Um, But yeah, I think that that was a really valuable lesson for me. I still play Mm -hmm. tug of war with control. Let's just be real. Um, It's called human condition. That's what, that's what we do. Right. But for sure, it is definitely better left in his hands. Yes. So transitioning to what you actually do and what you were doing in the midst of all of this. Um, you are a counselor. I you am. said um, family and marriage, right? Um, it's actually marriage and family. I'm just kidding. Oh, marriage and family. Uh, technicality. <laughs> yeah. But you also have a, have a big passion for obviously women who are walking through infertility and loss. So tell us more about what you do. Yeah. For so those women. In Nashville, I own Nashville Reproductive Therapy, where I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I treat women and their partners going through infertility, pregnancy loss. And if you do get pregnant during that time, I'll walk you through pregnancy and postpartum also. So that is wonderful. If you're in Nashville, hit me up. Um, Yeah. And tell us therapy right now. This is outside of their actual treatments this is a this is a therapy this is a counseling office where people can come to you for counseling in the midst of their journeys yes okay so you're not connected to like a a treatment center no you know I had talked to treatment centers about it but what I think we found out um is that it's so re-triggering to go into offices especially after there's a loss and I didn't want my counseling practice to re-traumatize people by going to therapy or support groups or whatever at your doctor's office. That is a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm near them, but I'm not, yes, I'm not associated with one. So I also own the Quillet Institute, and that is really a passion project for me that just started. Um, So I work with women. Sometimes their partners also, um, sweet little hubbies come and, um, work with them through online coaching. So where marriage and family, my marriage and family therapy license has me bound just to Tennessee fertility coaching can help me, uh, allow me to help couples all over the world. And so I do do one-on-one coaching. I have written three books. Now I launched my other one last week, which is a workbook. Thank you. 
Um, I just can't stop writing. It's so cathartic for me. Um, so my first book is not pregnant. I launched that in 2006. And then I have a children's book too. If you're struggling with secondary infertility to help your little babes try and oh, that's awesome. understand the conversation, there's not a pretty bow on it. It doesn't uh, end with a baby. Um, it ends with just talking about how we can be brave in the wait. Um, and so I also have an online video program where it's eight sessions of me talking about how to have a weight or how to have peace in your weight. Um, we go through kind of what infertility robs you of and then peace in your story, how men and women deal with it differently. And then we talk about it, peace in your relationship, peace in your body. So we try and disassemble those thoughts of shame and, um, the identity that we wear. A couple of years ago, I broke my elbow on a hoverboard. If you're late in your 30s, don't Hashtag get on your boy mom. Yeah, seriously. But my kids weren't even there. They weren't oh. even there. Yeah. Okay. Hashtag. I think I'm <laughs> still no young. Excuse. There's no excuse. <laughs> um, but I broke my elbow, and they said, "I'm so sorry, Mrs. Quillet. You have a broken elbow." Where 10 years ago, I sat on that crunchy paper, and they said, "I'm so sorry, Mrs. Quillet. You are infertile." And so it's really disassembling mm. that that narrative that you, if you are infertile, that you are just an infertile woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talk about peace socially, peace during times of change, and then how to live in peace. So talk a lot. And that's of, online. Those are just, that, that's a series that they can sign up for. Yes. Okay. It's at the Quill Institute. And so we talk a lot about, so now in my profession, we're starting to call infertility a reproductive trauma. That's what I wish that I had known all those years ago and really dealing with it as a life crisis. So we're seeing mm-hmm. people with brain scans that are dealing with um, infertility, uh, that the crisis of an infertility diagnosis has the same weight as a cancer diagnosis. Isn't that interesting? And the brain wow. scans of people dealing with uh, with infertility have the same brain scans as somebody dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, where... I. No, hear me when I say I'm not diagnosing, nor am I saying I would diagnose you if you came into my office, because what we are missing from a PTSD diagnosis is we're not witnessing a death or having lived near a near death experience. Now, I talked to somebody about that the other day and she's like, well, when I had my stillbirth, I almost died. Okay, well, then you can qualify for that diagnosis. Right. Yeah. Um, but most of us aren't. And so we're really addressing where we are in the middle of a trauma. So when we talk about all these emotions, we're talking about hypervigilance, poor concentration, depression, anxiety, inability to function, um, to a normal, whatever normal is for you standard. Um, we're talking about lots of irritability, but where somebody might have had a, a trauma that was one day, for example, my brother in 2002 was in a motorcycle accident and he's a paraplegic, but his trauma was one day. I'm not minimizing or comparing, but our trauma is every day one of our cycle. Our trauma is every time we have to have sex, right? Our trauma is every time that we get our period. And so I do a lot of work with people in the midst of what they would feel as a trauma and helping them try and work through and navigate so that they can enjoy life now rather than when they get pregnant or during the postpartum period. Because research shows us that risk of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety is higher after infertility if you don't deal with infertility. Ooh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. And so- um, Why is that? Uh, because we're dealing with a trauma. And if you don't deal with a trauma now, your trauma is going to continue to re-trigger you after or whenever something else difficult happens, right? Let's say you dealt with infertility and you had a miscarriage and then you have a birth. Yay. I dealt with a woman. I didn't deal. I knew a woman once who had a miscarriage Um, And years and years of infertility. And then she had her baby, but she would no longer sleep in bed with her husband. She would only sleep in the nursery with her kid. Um, And I didn't know about the miscarriage at this time, but I said, tell me about your reproductive history. And she said, well, I had a miscarriage. And if I can't keep a baby safe inside of me, then I certainly can't keep a baby safe outside of me. 
So I'm going to sleep with him all the time and I'm going to be the only one that drives him, et cetera, et cetera, because she never dealt with it. Right. And then, and then the shame kicks in of why am I not so grateful and so elated and so at peace because my miracle is finally here. Right. And so then you've got a whole nother shame cycle going on. Right. Right. I mean, even me, I never had the the biological kids, but for the first like six months of having my kids home, I would wake up all throughout the night and I would put my finger under their nose just to confirm that they were breathing. Um, all that to say, infertility is a trauma. If we don't deal with said trauma, triggers don't leave us. It further attaches into our brain. So if we don't deal with it, pregnancy, postpartum, we're at higher risk of all of that. And I keep telling people, we can't leave it up to a pregnancy or a baby to fix our infertility. We have to meet that head on. Otherwise, we're going to transfer that on and it's going to meet us later. Yep. The, just just last the last episode, I, this whole con- I mean, I wonder if she's like goes to you for counseling, because she she goes she's she's talked a lot about grief and a lot about infertility counseling, and she even said that she said if we don't deal with the ish the heart issues of infertility now they will come up later. I was like, oh yes, yeah, yeah. I have experienced that myself. Well, and the marital the the rate of marital satisfaction decreases after infertility. Satisfaction in sex exponentially decreases after infertility. When you say after infertility, like after baby or in the process of infertility? It decreases in infertility, but after infertility, whether it's childlessness or with a baby, it decreases. Listen, I'll give you a brief overview of a case study. Um, This is a couple that I knew once. They worked years and years to get a baby They did IVF, they tried adoption, had failed adoptions, uh, had one miracle baby through IVF, several years of secondary infertility, et cetera. They, I met them when their daughter was 17 and getting ready to go off to college. And they um, were just picking my brain about some stuff. And they said, Kathy, it has been 17 years since we struggled with infertility. We've never talked about it. We've never had good sex since. We've not had fun as a couple since. Our whole life before our daughter was focused on getting pregnant. And then we got pregnant and we raised her. And our whole focus was having a child that we've never looked at our marriage in 17 years. And now we're getting ready to launch our daughter into college and adulthood. And we don't know each other are because we never dealt with infertility and everything that infertility took from us, we might as well just divorce because we are strangers without our daughter. Mm. Right. And that, I mean, he was an elder at his church. They are God fearing people. Mm. And they, I mean, if you don't deal with it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't stop robbing things from you. So how would you say, okay, so I, I recognize that. I see that we're in the midst of it. How, what do you want me to do? How do I need to deal with this? Well, you need to hire me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug. No, 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 no. Um, I, I would say to anybody that's going through it, you need to face it. We try and drown it out in so many ways but we have to face it. And you facing it might mean yoga. You facing it might mean prayer. You facing it means facing and confronting head on what this has done to you. Some of you might need therapy. Some of you might need a book. Some of you might need a journal on a dock on a lake with the Holy Spirit. Um, The way through any situation is different for every single person. But the mask that I said I wore for a long time meant that I delayed my process through it because masking something doesn't help us through it. It helps life look, not feel, not actually be, but it helps life look pretty now. And so we need to disassemble the mask, confront what's going on with us head on so that we are healthy later. 
there is no form of therapy or mental health treatment at all that says avoid. Everything says avoidance leads to problems later. So if we can confront it in whatever way seems really authentic to who you and your marriage are, then that is what you need to confront right now or how you need to confront it. Um, Because, I mean, here's why I started everything. Unanimously in my practice, what I say after I go through everybody's history is, if you want things to look different in your life in six months, what do you want to look different? And unanimously people said, I want to be six months pregnant with a viable pregnancy. Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to give that to you. I cannot. But if you're still not pregnant in six months, how can we live really well? Because that is a lot of pressure to put on a pregnancy to make you happy if you've been living with a brain that looks like PTSD for how long? Mm. That is an unreliable source of joy and happiness for you. Mm-hmm. I, I sound so depressing. I'm not. Um, <laughs> like people are but just going to tune so, me out and be like, this chick so is true. so depressing. But It's so true though. And I, I've truth I bomb. It. Yeah. Yes. I, I had my daughter, which was everything we ever wanted after four and a half years. And I was like, wait, but now what? This this doesn't feel full enough. This is what this is what I thought it was. Right. And I then then the shame because like, how dare you? This is all you've ever wanted. Right. And now you're not happy as, or as happy as you could be. And yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. It's unreliable. I put a post on my Facebook yesterday that just, um, so come, come friend me, Kathy Quillett, IE, Kathy, IE. Um, but I put a post up yesterday that said, give me one word that describes mother's day for you. And a lot of people that were, uh, dealing with primary infertility, obviously sad, despair, lonely, et cetera. Um, but the women who I knew that were dealing with secondary infertility wrote guilty or some variation thereof, because you still don't feel like you still feel very much a part of the infertility club, but you're no longer welcome at that table. Oh gosh. Yep. And so it's this like despondent feeling of who am I? Because I I haven't dealt with it. And so I still feel like that club, like it's like that. um, I'll admit it. I've seen the movie mean girls. (laughs) Oh, Oh, um, totally. That's, a, that's right. a family favorite for me and my husband. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Even love it. he loves it. <laughs> but do you remember that map that they drew of the the kitchen or the cafeteria of where everybody was yeah. able to sit? It's oh, like yeah. we have that new thing when it comes to infertility. Like if you have primary infertility, you can go here. If you've if you've gotten pregnant, you can sit here. If you've graduated to motherhood, you can sit here. If you're like an elementary school mother, you can sit here and we don't know how to interact. Right. And so, and we don't know how to, how to face infertility in the middle of that, because we all feel like I'm part of this club, but I want to achieve the plastics. I want to achieve motherhood and like healthy, really full functioning motherhood. But there's all of these tables and obstacles and clicks along the way that I don't know how to be a part of. Yeah. That's, that's real. That's real. You're, like, you're speaking to me, Kathy. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Cause we experienced, I mean, that's, that's what I experienced. I, I was so passionate about encouraging women, um, in that first round of infertility. And I stopped blogging the second that we got pregnant. Cause I was like, Nope, no longer at that table. They don't want to, they don't want to sit with me. Right. And yeah. And then secondary, I was like, okay, I can kind of, I can go get close to that table again because I, I'm, you know, I, I, cause I, my passion was still there. I still wanted to, I wanted to yeah. encourage and I, that was my heart. Yeah. And then I got pregnant with my son and it was a struggle yeah. to share that because yep. once again, I'm, I can't be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kept thinking about niching myself therapeutically, but I kept on getting, getting pregnant. Cause what I treated before was marriage and, and grief before I pigeon my hold myself uh, into infertility and pregnancy loss. And throughout, I was like, Oh, that's what I want to treat. But I was like, if I get pregnant, nobody's going to take me seriously. Mm. I can't write a book yet if I'm going to get pregnant. And so I kept putting stuff off until I was like, all right, hysterectomy. <laughs> I can, uh, 
<laughs> I can officially put myself at that table. Now I'm credible as an infertile one. I don't know why we tell oh. ourselves self gar- such garbage as women. Our self-talk is just rubbish. But don't you think it's because we were at that first table in the beginning? And totally. We we looked at the other tables like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, you've got that. You've got what I want. Right. Right. And so then when you move tables, you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm not there anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting interesting life that we live with all of this. It is. It is. And I don't really know where we're going with that, but that Yeah, that but went I, somewhere. <laughs> I I guess I would just say um to anybody listening about this is honor your story. Like look inward and don't I I love the idea of mindfulness. I don't practice mindfulness, but what the idea of mindfulness says is I give myself permission to look internally and accept my emotions and I do so non-judgmentally. And so that I'm not asking you to develop a mindfulness practice, but what I want you to do is really look at yourself and your story, where you've been, what it has robbed from you and do so non-judgmentally and allow yourself to just sit in it for a minute I always say it's like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, okay? To me, um, that's like a painting with like dark sides on both sides and there's like this light of hope at the other side that we have to get to. And sometimes we need to sit. I mean, that's not in my like kid's Bible or whatever. Like that's just what it looks like in my brain and that's not biblical, obviously. Um, But as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, like, we're given options. Like we can keep walking or we can sit down. And sometimes we need to sit down and just examine what's going on. And we need to sit with the Lord and what, and be present with where he has us at this moment. But my encouragement is don't pinch a tent, sit there, be with your emotions, do so non-judgmentally. And then when you're ready, stand up and keep walking. We, we have to allow ourselves to continue doing the movement forward, progressing through all this stuff. Anxiety and depression live where we pitch a tent. They live other ways too, like if you're genetically predisposed or whatever, but keep walking through it. And the other thing that I'm going to say is I'm not a runner, but the, the symbolism isn't lost on me. Um, And I, when I picture a marathon, I watched a marathon in the LA marathon back in when I was in college, which was a lifetime and a half ago. Um, but, um, I, I, I think in my mind, I call them racers, chasers, and pacers. So racers are the people that like are in front of us that no, they're the people next to us. They're running with us and saying like, Kaylee, you got this. Keep going. I'm going to run for you, run with you step by step. The pacers are the people in front of us who set the pace for us that are a little bit ahead of us that can say, Kaylee, here's what I did next. Keep going. This is what's around turn number three. It's going to be a little bit scary. There's a big hill there, but you've got this. Mm. And the, the chasers behind us are the people that we can look back and say, turn number three is a little bit scary. The person in front of me warned me of it, but keep going like you're doing with this podcast. What you're saying is I've been there. Keep going. Let's share these stories for women who are a little bit ahead of us and that can enlighten and provide hope. We need these people walking with us through this valley of the shadow of death, right? That I talked about through your infertility story. And right now you're like, I got nobody in my life reach out to somebody like Kaylee, reach out to somebody like me, reach out to somebody who's a little bit ahead of you. Even if it's virtually, I didn't have that luxury a decade ago, mm-hmm. reach out to these people and say, I don't know you, but your story sounds really similar to me. I want to do this with you because I've got nobody. And maybe for right now, it's your husband. Maybe for right now it's somebody virtually, but grab that person and just say, you're my people. And we need to keep journeying this together. Don't let me sit down for too long. Don't Mm -hmm. let me pitch a tent. 
keep me going because those people are going to sustain us and help kick you on the behind when you need to get up and keep going. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for that. I feel like mm. you were just, I mean, I want to go back and just listen and take notes again because this was just really powerful for me. And so I know it's going to be an encouragement for those that are listening today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Please, yes. I want to meet y'all. Um, come find me seriously. Friend me. Um, like me at, at the Quilla Institute on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, and visit us at the Quilla Institute. What I will say is I do have a free um, cycle guide on there. So mental health in your cycle. I really understand the impact of all that after months of months of trying. So I have a free cycle guide on my website where I give oh, you awesome. journal pages every every day of the month to really address where you are in your cycle and things like exercises to do with yourself, your husband, um, et cetera. So if you're feeling a little bit stuck in trying this month yet again, um, you do have to e put in your email address, but I'm not going to spam you or give that to anybody else. It's just so I can send you a newsletter um, and encourage you as months go on. So well, I'll add that to the show notes. I'll add that link so they can click on it from there too. Well, thanks so much, Kathy. Yes. Thank you. I love how Kathy ended it with that marathon analogy. There are pacers, the ones ahead of you saying, watch out, a tough spot's coming. You're going to want to give up, but keep going. Then there's racers, the ones that are right beside you saying, you've got this, keep going. I'm right here with you. And then there's chasers. Those are the ones behind us that we can turn to and say, hey, there's a tough spot coming, but I've been there. You can do this. Keep going. That is such a beautiful picture of what I want this space, this podcast to look like. I want to have people on that encourage you to keep going so that you can not only continue to keep leaning into and trusting Jesus, but also so that you can encourage those people that God has placed in your life that are right behind you in this season. And that is such a sweet way to leave it for the summer, I believe. Hear it from Kathy and I. Keep going. We know it's tough, but God is with you. He is for you, and He is good. I'm praying that over you the next few months that God would make that so real to you no matter where you find yourself come the fall. And I'm so excited to be back with you guys. Follow us on Instagram. Make sure you stay in touch so that you can know when that third season is about to drop or any news that's happening with the podcast over the summer. So make sure you follow us at Joy and Infertility. Please keep sharing your stories. Please keep sharing the podcast, hearing your stories and what the podcast is doing to encourage you into a deeper relationship with Christ means so much to me. Hope you guys have a fabulous summer. I'll talk to you soon. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joy and Infertility podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.